Hello and welcome to Power Pros Podcast, episode 154. We are back after our brief hiatus, but I am still your host, the Hoff Chris Hoffman, and with me is still my co-host and nemesis, Pete Mashad. Back and better than ever, Chris. <laughs> I see, I see. Of course, we are still here to talk about what's going on in the world of Nintendo. So we're playing catch up a little bit, but we still are going to talk about some game impressions as well as some news. And then this week's big topic, which is going to be all about Castlevania. Yeah, that is one of my all time favorite series. But before we get to that, let's kick things off with the game impressions, starting with a title that came out on Switch two weeks ago, Super Mario Party. Basically, it is Mario Party. It is pretty much what you would expect if you have ever played a Mario Party game before. If you've done that, you know what you're getting, which means lots of mini games, plenty of variety, and board game style competition for up to four players. And there was also plenty of randomness. Now you say you know what you're getting, like it's a bad thing, but honestly, with Mario Party, that's kind of usually a good thing, right? Well, it kind of depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking for something that's different from past games, well, you might not quite get it. However, (laughs) if you just want to have a fun time with your friends, then it probably will deliver that. Because, you know, I mean, how much do you like that random element in the past games? Because that can sort of be a sticking point, I think, with some players. You know, if you're trying to play this game, if you're in it to win it, then you will probably not like these weird random outcomes that happen sometimes. <laughs> Basically, this might not be a game for you if you want something that's purely based on skill. You know, that can happen in real board games too, though. Okay. Yes, it totally can. <laughs> so, you know, if you're an adult, this game is probably best enjoyed in a relaxing setting, possibly with a nice big glass of milk. <laughs> it's a game that... You know, I would say is about the journey, not the destination, because, you know, you're going to land on spaces and suddenly you'll get sent all the way across the board. <laughs> you will have opponents acquiring stars from invisible blocks through sheer random luck. <laughs> you will have opponents that can steal your stars. And, you know, as is common in Mario Party games, there's the end of the game where players are awarded stars for these random elements, sometimes for good performance, sometimes for awful performance, like you might get an extra star because you had the lowest dice roll, and then suddenly the player who was in the lead the entire game totally loses. So, again, it's just very random. You sound bitter. Mostly like every other Mario Party. No, actually, uh, I I did win the game I played. Uh, I think that uh, my friend who was playing with me might still be a little upset, though. (laughs) (laughs) So you're the cheater. I was in the lead pretty much the whole time. But uh, Luigi, who was computer-controlled, was really sneaking up from behind, and he almost pulled off the victory. He ended up getting an extra star, so we were tied on stars. I ended up winning by, like, three coins or something. I mean, he is dead, so you should feel a little bit bad. <laughs> uh, maybe just a little. Griefing ghosts like that? Anyway, you know, that aside, you know, knowing that the formula really hasn't changed much, there is plenty to enjoy in this game. There are at least 20 playable characters, including Mario, the aforementioned Luigi, Peach, Daisy, Wario, Waluigi, Rosalina, Goomba, Shy Guy, Koopa, even Monty freaking Mole is in there. (laughs) But most importantly, Bowser is back as a regular playable character. You know, he's often been left out of the Mario parties, at least as a standard playable character. Sometimes he's not playable at all. Sometimes he's only playable in special modes. But this time he is back as a fully playable character, which I certainly appreciate. What about Bowsette? Is she in there? Never heard of her. (laughs) 
There are also four different boards to play on. You can play through Womp's Domino Ruins, King Bob-omb's Powder Keg Mine, Mega Fruit Paradise, and then an unlockable board, which I have not seen yet. Ooh. And, you know, there are options to choose from as well. You can choose to play 10 rounds, 15 rounds, or 20 rounds. But even going 10 rounds, the game estimates that's going to take you like an hour to play through. I bet. Of course, the big thing is probably all the mini games, and you know, as you might expect, they have a wide assortment of themes and controls. There are 80 mini games in all. 30 of them are called free for all. 10 are called two on two. 10 are categorized as three on one. 10 are called team. There are also 10 co-op and 10 rhythm games. I don't really know the difference between team and co-op and two-on-two. I think one of those is like where everyone's cooperating together, but you know, two of them just seemed really similar. I don't know the distinction. Mm. Uh, rhythm, however, you know, was definitely unique. You know, there's lots of you know, actual music-based rhythm games. <laughs> you know, whether you're you know trying to you know shake your controller to a beat or you know rhythmically mimic Waluigi's dance poses. <laughs> there's uh, lots of fun rhythm stuff in there. You do that almost every day. Uh, this is true. This is true. But yeah, there's just a wide variety of stuff as far as the content and the controls that are used. Like, there's one called Trike Harder, where you're shaking the Joy-Con <laughs> to pedal a tricycle to win a race. There's one called Off the Chain, where one player rides a chain chomp around the arena and the other players just try to dodge him. One's called Sizzling Steaks, which is kind of like Cooking Mama, where you're you know, <laughs> flipping a cube of beef with the Joy-Con and just trying to cook it on all sides. <laughs> uh, there's Pie Hard. Yes, pie hard, <laughs> where you're just throwing pies at your opponents in a two-on-two contest, and the pies kind of fly randomly, but it's still sort of fun to throw pies at people. There's also a pancake game called Can Take Pancake, Ooh. where you try to grab as many pancakes off the stack as possible. The catch being you can only take pancakes that are not covered up, so you have to grab them off the top of this big stack. Now, are there any minigames with a name that is better than my all-time favorite Mario Party minigame name, Mario Speedwagon? Probably not. <laughs> okay. Well, there is one called Rattle and Hmm. Does that count? <laughs> That's pretty good. I, I feel like I want to buy this just for the dad joke. <laughs> Rattle and Hmm is actually a really interesting one because it is totally played through HD Rumble. Oh. These three characters appear on the screen and each one you know, shows off a different HD Rumble effect. And then after that, they all leave and then just you feel the rumble and you have to remember which character that was and you have to identify it. That was certainly an interesting one. Some other cool games include Trip Navigator, where you have to go through a banana peel maze to reach a goal. Fuzzy Flight School, where you have to steer a little plane with Joy-Con motion controls through mm -hmm. a gauntlet of fuzzy enemies. Snack Attack, where popcorn and volcanic rocks are both falling from the sky. You only want to <laughs> catch the popcorn. Uh, that's a good tip for real life. <laughs> Try to catch the popcorn, avoid the volcanic rocks. True. Time to Shine is basically, you know, that game I was talking about, the rhythm game where you're playing Simon with uh, Waluigi. I guess it's not always Waluigi, but when I played it, it was Waluigi. I didn't use Waluigi as my character, and I think uh, Princess Peach was the one who was doing the motions up on stage. Oh, Take a Stab's another fun one where you have to skewer fruit to the rhythm by shaking a Joy-Con. <laughs> uh, but my favorite minigame, I think, is called Slapperasi, where you are fighting to be the center of attention in a photo. You know, all four players are trying to you know be the center of the photo <laughs> as this photographer is going around the outside of the circle. And 
it almost always ends up being something hilarious. It's you know fun to play, and then it takes the picture, and you get to see what the picture looks like, <laughs> and the results are almost always hilarious, whether you're winning or losing. So that's a really good one. That's awesome. Then there's also the Rec Room mode, which includes these bonus mini-games that are completely separate from the board game mode. And these are the ones that you might have seen Nintendo showcasing, like, that use two screens sometimes. Like, Shell Shock Deluxe is that tank battle where you can, you know, move between two different screens. Oh, right. I wasn't able to try that out because I was only playing this on a single Switch, and you need to have multiple copies of the game, as well as multiple Switches, to see all those features. There's also one called Banana Split, which also requires two systems, so I haven't seen that one yet. But then there's also this mini league baseball game, which is pretty fun. And then one called Puzzle Hustle, where you use your character to drag these 3D puzzle pieces to create a big piece of character sprite art. And I kid you not, I would actually buy like a full eShop game of just this if it was like $8 or something. <laughs> Good times, huh? Yeah, so it's pretty fun. But again, you know, you have to be in the right mood for it. You have to have friends who are willing to play it with you. It's not the kind of thing that you want to be playing solo very often. Right. And yeah, it is basically Mario Party. It's fun. It's goofy. It's not for serious competitive play. And like I said before, if you have played Mario Party, if you know Mario Party, then you pretty much know what this is all about. Yeah, and I think that's a good thing. You know, the Switch really lends itself well to multiplayer games, and I think that yes. something like Mario Party, you know, as like something like Overcooked has demonstrated that people like to play with their friends on the Switch, and this seems like a solid one to own for that kind of gaming. Yeah, I would definitely agree with you. If you were in the mood for a party-type game, this 100% fits the bill. Just don't expect any you know, drastic changes from previous versions. <laughs> now, do you feel like it earned the moniker Super? Honestly, there's nothing that really makes it too Super, but hey, after they've got that high in the numbering, I can't really say I blame them for trying something else a little different. <laughs> Fair. Fair enough. All right, then. Let us move on to another game that I've been playing recently, and I understand you have as well, Pete. And that is Chasm, which is a downloadable title on the Switch. Yeah, picked it up. It's a pretty cool game. I love the art style. I love the overall play mechanics. What are you thinking? Yeah, I've been greatly enjoying it as well. And for those who aren't familiar with it, it is a procedurally generated Metroid-style action-adventure in the vein of Castlevania Symphony of the Night. You know, Normally... I would call these Metroid style, but it really does feel like one of these exploration-based Castlevania games, right down to the shadows trailing off your character and the backdash maneuver you can perform, <laughs> yep. as well as the mix of combat and platforming and all the different weapons and armor and items and sub-weapons you can get. Now, that was the part I was kind of confused about. What part is procedurally generated? Apparently, it's the layouts of the levels. Each room individually is hand-built, so you aren't just going to get some randomly laid-out room. But the way it's all pieced together is done procedurally. Ah. So that kind of gives you the best of both worlds. You get a new experience every time you play, but you also get these handcrafted rooms, so they are well-designed and tested and are definitely going to be fun. Uh, that's good to hear. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, if no one had told me this game was procedurally generated, I wouldn't really think it is. It does not feel like a procedurally generated game. It <laughs> feels like it's just, you know, totally handcrafted from the ground up. Right. Yeah, that's what I noticed. Mm -hmm. Which is a credit. Uh, yes, yes, that's definitely a good thing. But, you know, like I said, if I play through it again, I'll be able to get a totally different experience. So it has lots of replay value in that regard. 
Now, what kind of weapons have you been using in the game so far? There are clubs, there are swords, there's even a whip you can get, and there are plenty of sub-weapons as well that, you know, consume magic points. Again, very similar to Castlevania. There are knives, axes, holy water, a boomerang, and even more. I almost feel like they should be, you know, paying Iga, you know, residuals for, for this <laughs> game. It's so much like his Castlevania titles. <laughs> Yeah, so far, I've only got a few hours into it, but I picked up a sword and a knife. Now, the trade-off was that the knife was stronger, but it was you had to let enemies get a lot closer, and I just didn't find right. it was that worth it. I was like, nah, it's not that much better, so I'm going to stick with the sword, mm. keep them at bay. Yeah, plus you can get some really big weapons, you know, these huge swords and massive clubs, and they're really strong, but they're also really, really slow, mm. so you have to be careful when you use those. So yeah, there is a bit of a trade-off with all the weapons. I've just been going with the straight sword myself, because they tend to be pretty powerful, but also fairly fast, so it seems like a really good balance to me. Right, and the enemies sort of have some different nuances. They, you know, certain ones will kind of stumble and come back at you really quickly some will uh, kind of hop yeah they definitely all have their patterns you have to deal with yeah there's sure. some good variation in the way they attack you mm -hmm. which kind of lends itself to which kind of weapon you want to go with uh, i suppose that's true and it certainly adds to the challenge you always sort of have to stay on your toes sometimes when we're doing a lot of backtracking i kind of wish i didn't have to do this little you know sort of dance with the enemies i wish i could just sort of plow right through them and move on ahead but that's sort of the the trade-off you get. You know, interesting enemy patterns, but uh, you know, if you have to head back somewhere else, like, well, I gotta deal with this enemy all over again, even though he might kick my butt. I kind of spent a lot of time grinding just so I could power up and you know get through some of those areas easier and faster. Hmm. Yeah, I can see that. And since so this is a game where you have experience and you can level up, that is something you can do. And of course, as you play through the game, there are also numerous abilities that let you expand your exploration capabilities. There's a slide maneuver, a ledge grab, a wall jump, a lantern for seeing in the dark, and others as well. Mm -hmm. Just like you, Pete, I'm really enjoying the pixel art aesthetic. I think the controls are solid, and as I was saying, it does present a fair amount of challenge. But in addition to leveling up, you can buy equipment upgrades, you can craft some pieces of equipment, and you can occasionally find HP boosts and MP boosts hidden around the environment as well. Yeah, I'm really enjoying the art style. I know we keep talking about that, but it is really, really good. I think that's my favorite part of the game. It really looks like a game that existed back in the day. Yeah, I mean... Like I said, it's very, very Castlevania. It's very comparable to Symphony of the Night. It's very comparable to the uh, GBA and DS Castlevania games. And uh, again, like we keep saying, that is a good thing because those games looked great. Mm -hmm. So how far into the game are you at this point? I think I made it to like the third level. Like, so you're in the garden? No, I'm still going down the chasm. <laughs> uh. Do you just always keep going down the chasm or... Oh, no, no. I mean, you start out in the mines, but after that you get to a couple other areas. Oh, sorry, yeah. So you haven't really experienced the uh, fast travel system then, have you? I have not. Okay. Yeah, that's my one complaint about the game, is that each of these areas you go into sort of has its own fast travel room that lets you move between three or four different locations, but then you have to move from fast travel room to fast travel room, so sometimes you just, you know, want to go from point a to point b and it involves like you know eight or nine different steps which <laughs> can be a little bit clunky sure and it's kind of funny because that's like the one thing that was not copied directly from castlevania and it's the one thing that i think it could you know stand to improve <laughs> if you're gonna copy something copy it right they might as well copy the whole thing yeah <laughs> 
Anyway, that is a pretty minor complaint. Overall, I'm really enjoying the game. I have played it all the way through. That's what I spent most of the last week doing with my gameplay time. You know, there are so many Metroid-style games on the Switch that it's easy to lose track of them all, <laughs> but I would say this is definitely one of the best. Cool. Uh, how long did the total playthrough take you? About 12, maybe 14 hours. All right. That's a sizable amount of gameplay. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I did definitely spend some time grinding to level up my character. So, you know, not counting that, it might have been a couple hours less. But yeah, yeah, you can uh, sink some good time into it, especially if you do all the uh, side quests and things like that, uh, which I mostly did. I managed to get 100% on the map, 100% when it came to breaking all the crates that were strewn around. Apparently there was one side quest I haven't quite finished. I'm not sure what it is. But uh, yeah, I was, you know, as thorough as I could be playing through this game. Cool. Good to know. At any rate, I would certainly recommend it to anyone who is looking for a Castlevania or Metroid-style adventure on Switch. Yeah, and as you mentioned, there are a lot of them out there, but I have to agree also, it's one of the better ones available. Well, we're actually agreeing. <laughs> uh, says you. Now, moving along to another new release. Pete, this is one that I have not played yet, but I understand that you have spent a little bit of time with Starlink, the battle for Atlas. Yes, and when you say little, uh, I do mean little. I got it today in the mail from Amazon. I bought the starter pack. Well, you actually went physical this time? I went physical, physical. Probably just so you could sing that, huh? <laughs> I did. Well, you know, there, there's a lot to like here. You get a, uh, you know, you're a... Very... Well, I mean, you kind of want to get the physical version so you can get that physical R-Wing and the little Fox figurine. I mean, I was very, very tempted to get it myself. I might still get it. But uh, yeah, that's a pretty cool package and definitely one that I would want to go physical on. Well, it was my birthday last week and I got a gift card in the mail and I... Uh, oh, well, happy birthday. <laughs> and I thought, you know what, might as well uh, spend it on Amazon. <laughs> right on. So the starter pack essentially includes a controller mount. Hmm. And then on that controller mount, you plug in a physical R-Wing that's probably about the size of the wingspan of my hand. And then you get these two little figurines of Fox McCloud and uh, Mason Rana, who's a character in Starlink. Mm -hmm. And then uh, there, you get two weapons as well that uh, have nothing to do with Star Fox, but they are part of the game, it seems. Uh, one's the Flamethrower and one is the Frost Barrage. And basically what you do is you modify this little toy ship. You actually place the weapons on the ship and that's how you actually configure stuff in the game, right? Yeah, so the R-Wing actually has these two little ports, for lack of a better way of saying it, just sticking out on the wings, and you physically mount these weapons onto its wingspan, and mm -hmm. literally it's plug and play. As soon as you, you, like, if you're in the middle of the game, you can take off a weapon, and uh, you'll go back to the just the typical twin blaster that Star Fox has, and then if you were to throw another one on there, it would just immediately jump in. And there's a setting in the game where you can actually have the game just pause automatically when you do that. Oh, that's nice. Or I think you can actually have it not pause and you just do it on the fly. But mm -hmm. I had it so that it paused. That makes sense to me. And then it's kind of cool. There's a fun little like 3D animation when you do that. It looks like it's just kind of like being like almost 3D rendered on the wing. Hmm. Cool. Yeah, I did get to play this one back at E3, but I didn't get to use the model or any of that interactive functionality. So that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, and the, the model itself, you know, it's funny. I'm not a huge model guy. You're always reviewing Amiibos, and I never know what to say. <laughs> but uh, I think it's pretty cool. I would almost consider it more of a 
closer to a toy than a model. Mm -hmm. And I only say that because of the way it's kind of built. It just kind of has this feeling like you could like throw it down the stairs and it would be fine. <laughs> that being Kids, said, don't try that at home. That being said, you're not really supposed to, you know, it, or do it and blame Pete. <laughs> it literally plugs into uh, this mount that then you slide your joy cons into. And it's kind of awkward and cumbersome and you look, kind of crazy holding your you know joy cons like that but yeah, with a ship strapped onto them pretty much for the most part it's pretty cool and then i'd say the neatest feature about it is that it actually you know Star Fox on his wings has these two like blue sort of like chevrons that come off you can actually open and close them and they have like two different settings where you can like you feel it kind of click i'm actually doing it right now so you can actually open them and close them on the fly. It does nothing for you in the game <laughs> that I could tell, <laughs> but it is kind of a nice little detail that feels good and it like, kind of looks cool. So you can kind of have it in like space mode, I think. And then when he pulls into a uh, planet, they go up and down and he's in attack mode. Or I, mean, I know there's some official term for that. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Sounds cool, though. Oh, uh, the other cool thing is that, uh, and this is a really minor detail, but when you actually have the game playing, there's a little afterburner jet that lights up blue. Hmm. And I believe it's a series of mirrors that take the Joy-Con light and propel it through it, but I might just be making that up. I don't know. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Now, have you had a chance to play much? Do you have any impressions of the gameplay so far? So far, I started as Star Fox. And from what I understand, you can basically play as the main character, this Mason fellow, or mm -hmm. you're this crew with a whole storyline. Or you can play as Star Fox, and the whole story is customized from like the Star Fox perspective. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and I have encountered a few cutscenes that are really elaborate. Right when you start off, you get this whole like cool Fox animation, almost as if he's getting like announced in Smash Brothers or something. <laughs> and then, you know, I got to a point in the game where there's like a cutscene with the team in the game, the normal Starlink team, mm -hmm. and like the Star Fox crew is just hanging out with them. And there's Oh, so Slippy there? Yeah, yes, Slippy and all right. and Peppy and Falco, all your favorites. What about Uncle Grippy? Uh I, I don't know about Uncle Grippy. I'm, I feel like he oh, might have got the axe. Yeah. With a jip. But as far as gameplay, I will say it controls more like a typical space shooter. I don't know how to explain that any better, but but basically Star Fox, I mean, especially the last one, they're just the controls were a little funky. You didn't have your typical like behind the ship view and you could just go anywhere you wanted. That's what this is. It kind of has that like no man's sky feel to it. Mm-hmm where you can fly into orbit, and then you can fly back onto a planet. Yeah, that was one of the things I really liked about the demo I played. Yeah, and just that mechanic, I, I just was able to play that right before this podcast. So I got to experience that, and it, it actually is really cool how it's done. And uh, it just makes you feel like, man, I wish Nintendo would make a Star Fox game like this. But, uh, you know... This is the next best thing, and, and if there's a lot of content there, which I'm hopeful there is, it seems like a pretty worthwhile pickup. Okay, all right. Very cool. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, I wasn't entirely sure what to make of it after playing it at E3, but it sounds like it's shaping up really well and kind of is what I would want out of a game of this type. So I'm looking forward to uh, hearing your further impressions as you play your way through it. Yeah, I'd love to give another update when I have played a little bit more. Cool. Sounds like a plan.
Now, aside from that, have you taken any time to play the recently released new additions to the NES Classics lineup for Nintendo Switch Online? I did, albeit pretty briefly. How about you? Uh, Yeah, I played all three, or actually four games as well. But yeah, I didn't spend a ton of time with them. So I played some Salmon's Key, which... You know, I never really played that much on the original NES, and you know, I've discovered it's kind of an interesting little action puzzle game where you get to create and destroy blocks to find the key and then exit each level. I probably would not have liked this game back in the day. I'm probably <laughs> playing it and like, what is this puzzle aspect? I just want to, you know, smash things with my wand here. But, uh, you know, I kind of was appreciating it now, and it definitely seems tough. Like, it seems like it's really easy to get a game over while you're trying to think things through. Yeah, it's brutally hard, and that's what I noticed when I played it. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely pays to pause the game and, you know, try looking and figuring out what you're going to do before you actually start playing. Yeah, now at the same time, I actually feel like this game is perfect for NES Classics because you're able to, like, save your state, so... You know, you just get through the level and keep all your lives and then just save it and start again. <laughs> That's definitely one way to play it, for sure. <laughs> uh, also, I played a bunch of Super Dodgeball. It is, you know, pretty simple, but very, very fun. You know, just like, you know, running across the arena, throwing balls at the opponents until I just KO the whole lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> it is a fun game. I did not remember... That much, like, glitchy graphics in the original. Yes, the slowdown and flicker, it is, like, off the charts. (laughs) And I didn't really remember that either, but even so, it is still, you know, really darn fun. Yeah, it really is. My favorite thing to do is, like, try to catch the ball they throw at you and then bean them before they can make it back to the line. (laughs) Yep, totally. That's always a fun part. Now, I haven't tried playing this game online. I'm a little bit wary of it. (laughs) But, you know, with all that slowdown and flicker and then, you know, the lag time that we got when we played other games online, like, oh, man, this could be a nightmare playing online. But I haven't actually done that, so I can't say for sure. (laughs) We might have to try it out. (laughs) Perhaps so. And then, of course, there is NES Open Tournament Golf. And I fired this up and started playing it, and I realized I might never have played this game before. I don't remember it. Even though I know I have it on 3DS and on other hardware, (laughs) I'm not really sure I've ever played it. You know, it certainly looks good for an NES golf game. It's very, very unforgiving. But it does use a traditional swing meter. But man, if you are just a little bit off with that meter, your ball is just going like all over the place. It is wildly off course. (laughs) You know, it's funny. I don't think I've played this one either, and I, I didn't get a huh. chance to play it before we talked. But I think I was always thinking of the, the just the, the standard golf game for NES. Uh, yes, yes. Yeah, I remember that one, too. And, you know, this game, in a lot of ways, is far superior, I think. But, uh, man, it's been such a long time since i played that one either. I, I can't really say for sure. Yeah, I'm excited to kind of spend some time with this one, so. Yeah, I mean, if you like golf games, definitely worth giving a swing. <laughs> And then the fourth game that arrived was kind of a surprise. It was not announced previously, and it is The Legend of Zelda SP. It is basically a save state for The Legend of Zelda, where you just jump in and you're playing through a played-up save file where you already have six hearts and a bunch of arrows and bombs and keys and the white sword and the power bracelet and other stuff. Yeah, it's a really interesting concept. You know, Nintendo to allow you to just kind of jump into a save file, it really does. It feels like, you know, you just 
like rented a video game and <laughs> someone's save file was already on it. You're totally right. That's exactly what it's like. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, yeah, that does take me back. <laughs> but it's kind of cool in a way. Like it, it makes you, especially with like the original Zelda just being so kind of daunting from the outset, mm-hmm. it does kind of give you a nice little advantage and some perks to trying this version. Yeah, I mean, you don't have any Triforce pieces yet. You don't have any dungeon items yet. So you still have to go through all that stuff and do all the fun stuff to get to the end of the game. But it really does, you know, sort of provide this easy mode, easy way to start exploring with, you know, minimal effort. And in a way, it's kind of like Breath of the Wild, where you start with all of your main rune abilities and can sort of go anywhere you want. Mm. And, you know, in a sense, this is kind of similar. Wow, I didn't think about that. (laughs) so you know i guess it's good for newcomers don't know how much i'll really play of it but you know it's certainly an interesting option to make available yeah i think the most intriguing thing about this is that uh they might do this for other games and it sounds like they are considering doing it for other games so i think the idea of doing this for other games could really be interesting you know i can't really think of any off the top of my head but um i'm sure there are some ideas out there that would be pretty cool Maybe there could be a version of Zelda 2 where you start out with, uh, you know, level 4 stats or something so it's not quite as hard, or extra lives or something like that. Maybe that's not a bad idea. Maybe we can have an episode where we just talk about SP ideas. Uh, Perhaps so, perhaps so, but I think we'll have to (laughs) save that for another time. Yeah, in general, this is just kind of a cool update, and it's uh, nice to see that the uh, service is alive and well and, and updating slowly. Yeah, I mean, we've been promised uh, three more tiles in November, three more tiles in December, and who knows, maybe there'll even be a couple more surprises thrown in. I guess it's something we can possibly look forward to. Now, what actual day did these come out? The 10th. The 10th, okay. Yep. So can we assume that they'll come out on every 10th, or is it like a specific day, do you think? I'm not sure. We don't know exactly when those games are coming yet, so maybe there's a pattern, maybe there's not. I guess we'll see uh, in November. I guess we will. (laughs) All right, then, let us move along and talk about some news. Or perhaps more specifically, first of all, we're going to talk about a rumor. Because it was not too long ago where this uh, news item or rumor broke on some major news sites talking about how there might be a new version of the Switch coming out in late 2019. It's always funny how these come out around the holidays where it's like, doesn't Nintendo want to like make a bunch of money? Like, Why would they want this article to come out? Well, I don't think Nintendo would. Nintendo hasn't commented on anything. They haven't confirmed anything. Of course. It is totally just a rumor. I mean, I saw a couple articles where they claimed that it was a Nintendo announcement, but it was not a Nintendo announcement at all. (laughs) I mean, one thing we do know for sure is that Nintendo is always working on revisions. We've talked about it before. It was our big topic not too long ago. And, you know, whether the public ever sees them or not, you know, we can both guarantee from our time there that Nintendo is already working on revisions. Yeah, I mean, honestly, there's no surprise here, I don't think. You know, you, you know they're working on another version of the hardware, and they're probably working on the next console at some point, in some capacity. But, yeah, I mean, it's just nice to know that I guess there is some stuff coming down the pipeline, and, uh, you know, we'll probably learn about it at some point next year. Uh, yes, it seems highly likely. I mean, what will it be? Who really knows? Will it just be, you know, this standalone dedicated handheld that we had talked about maybe wanting to see? Will it just be something that's, you know, somehow 
slimmer? Will be something that's somehow bigger with a bigger screen? We have no idea at this point. You know, I think right now we just have to chalk this up as rumors. Will it really be late next year? Will it be a different time? Who really knows? But we can certainly say, I'm sure, something you will be hitting sooner or later. <laughs> yep. Now, speaking of new versions of the Switch, there is also this new limited edition Switch system coming out featuring Diablo 3. Yeah, yeah, I was not expecting this uh, announcement at all, but it is pretty cool to see. Yeah, it's kind of surprising. It is not a game I would have guessed ahead of time was going to be getting a limited edition Switch system. Uh, nonetheless, it is pretty cool. Both the Switch unit and the dock are adorned with Diablo 3 artwork and also includes a Diablo 3 carrying case as well as a digital copy of the game. Mm. So you won't be picking this one up. I don't think I'm quite in the market for a new version of the Switch just yet, <laughs> so probably not. But, you know, if there are big Diablo 3 fans out there, and we certainly know there are, this could be the perfect way for them to uh, get into Nintendo Switch. Yeah, I feel like there's probably some, like, rabid Blizzard fans out there that will have to buy this. But uh... <laughs> Yeah, it seems very, very likely. <laughs> but who knows? And if you are in the market for it, well, it comes out as a GameStop exclusive on November 2nd. It will be priced at $360. Now, on the completely opposite side of the news spectrum, Nintendo has announced a new title that is absolutely nothing like Diablo 3. They have announced Fitness Boxing is coming out on Switch on January 4th. Fitness Boxing? Yes, Fitness Boxing. Like fitness whole donut in my mouth? Uh, No. It is more like <laughs> fitness uh, punching people in the face. Oh. And, you know, I sort of take it as basically the spiritual successor to games like We Fit. And you are going to be using the motion controls of the Joy-Cons to punch and squat and weave your way to good health. That's unbelievable. Oh, I can't believe you said that. <laughs> yeah, obviously this is not a hardcore gamers game. Even in the press releases say it is great for, quote, busy moms. <laughs> but it does have lots of unlockables as far as music and modes and things like that. I mean, part of me is thinking, man, it's just kind of too bad they didn't turn this into, like, a full game. Like, how cool would it be if you could get fit by doing, you know, these boxing moves and also take on uh, King Hippo <laughs> and Bald Bull and Mike Tyson, you know? Yeah, it feels like it is time for a, a super punch ad, don't you think? Yeah, I would say so as well. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's not happening yet, but there is fitness boxing. So if you want to play and get healthy, that game is coming out early next year. I might actually look into this one. I'm curious. I'm a little curious, I admit. Now, something that's coming much sooner than that, over from the folks at Nicholas, they have announced that their upcoming Switch game, Save Me Mr. Taco, now has a release date, <laughs> October 30th. <laughs> This is a great name for a game. <laughs> now, that is taco with a K, not taco with a C, as in the Japanese word for octopus. Ah. Now, have you been following this game at all, Pete? I definitely remember hearing about it. Tell me more. Well, the cool thing about it is it is very heavily Game Boy inspired. Uh, that's it is a right. Game Boy inspired action platformer that totally has this black and white monochromatic Game Boy aesthetic. And yes, you play as an octopus trying to bring peace to a world where humans and octopi are at war. Man. And not only does it look 
like a Game Boy game, but it takes lots of cues from the Kirby games. Specifically, you can get lots of powers by wearing 50 different hats. <laughs> and I don't even think they've you know commented on what all these different hats are, but that is a whole lot of abilities. And then in addition to that, you can squirt enemies with ink to turn them into platforms to also help you in your uh, platforming efforts. The game has six worlds and 16 dungeons, and it's looking pretty darn cool to me. Yeah, it does. I mean, the style is is amazing. It looks like a Game Boy, original Game Boy game. Yeah, exactly. Yep, in all its uh, four-color glory. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely intrigued. Also, at the same time they announced the release date, they revealed the game will have an easy mode, which basically gives you significantly more lives, as well as the ability to fast-forward cutscenes, which is always appropriate. From what I've seen of the game, it does seem pretty challenging. Like, I believe you die in one hit, unless you're wearing a hat, in which case that hit will knock your hat off first, and that second hit will kill you. So the easy mode is probably not a bad idea. Not too bad at all. But anyway, you look at it. Yeah, the game comes out in only a couple weeks. I am very, very likely to pick this one up. Yeah, me too, depending on the price. Well, the price is 15 bucks, but apparently if you pre-order it now, you can get it for only 10 bucks. So uh, there you go. There's a good incentive for you to uh, get in on the ground floor. Interesting. I also heard there's possibly a rumor that there might be a physical version. Would you be interested in that? Well, very possibly. That would probably be a lot more than uh, 10 bucks. but you know me, I love my physical content. So who knows? I guess we'll just have to see. Mm-hmm. Now, Chris, I got one more piece of news for you. Oh, yeah? What's that, Pete? This is really minor, but have you seen the, uh, the Halloween costume for Mario in Odyssey? Oh, yes, the, uh, the zombie costume with a hatchet stuck in his head and his rotting flesh. Yeah, I gotta yes, say, yes, I, have. I, I gotta say that I was shocked that that's a real thing. <laughs> I, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, that's sweet fan art. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really seem like something that Nintendo would typically do, does it? No, but uh, I kind of love that they did. <laughs> but, you know, then again, they also killed off Luigi, and I think Mario died fighting Ridley in that other trailer, so uh, I guess it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. I guess the outfit is made up of two parts. The hat, which is basically the axe, <laughs> yes. and then the zombie body. But the funny part is, is that you can just have the axe like on normal Mario, so it looks <laughs> pretty gruesome. I guess that's a point I hadn't thought of yet. Yeah, I haven't actually fired up the game and obtained it yet myself. But yes, it's definitely uh, an interesting addition to Mario Odyssey. That's for sure. Yeah, nice, uh, nice timely release as well. Yes, indeed. All right, let's move along from news and answer a few listener letters. This first letter comes from listener Blake, who writes, I'm always wondering what you guys do for a living. Can you do an episode where you talk about your current jobs? And, pardon me for asking, but I'm assuming you do Power Pros out of the kindness of your heart. No one's paying you for it, right? I appreciate all your hard work, and I love listening. And if you wouldn't mind talking about these things, that would be awesome. Well, Blake, Power Pros is my job. <laughs> that is totally not true. <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, I don't think anyone really wants to hear about my normal job. I am not in the game industry anymore. But I enjoy Nintendo as much as the rest of them. I, on the other hand, am still professionally involved in gaming. I'm a freelance writer, mostly on the marketing side of things. You, know, you might have seen my work in some game manuals or some eShop descriptions or on some game publisher websites. I also helped localize Story of Seasons, Trio of Towns, a couple of years ago. 
I have started expanding into some new stuff recently. I'm not really ready to talk about that yet. But uh, yeah, if you've looked around, you've probably seen my stuff uh, somewhere with some of your favorite video games. I will say I do miss the video game industry, and I am looking for ways back in, but uh, nothing to report at this time. Also, yes, Blake is correct. This is not a paid gig. We basically do it just for fun, and we pay out of our own pockets to keep it going. Moving on to our next letter, which comes from listener Brian Booth. In response to our robots big topic from last episode, he writes, Fun topic for an episode. As honorable mentions, I'd like to submit Flood from Super Mario Sunshine. (laughs) I know it's sometimes more of a tool than a robot, but it's got a definite AI personality, is multifunctional, and apparently has some kind of sentience, so it seems like it would be a good candidate. The foot soldiers from the TMNT games, especially the ones you can throw into the screen from Turtles in Time, (laughs) and Wheatley and GLaDOS from the Portal series. Hmm. How do you feel about this, Chris? Well... You know, we did consider some of those. Like, we talked about Flood, but then we decided that it wasn't really a robot. You know, it's not autonomous. (laughs) Uh, But then again, you know, I'm not really sure if Uncle Amiibo is autonomous either, so we might have already broken our own rules when we're doing that. I don't know. Yeah, but his name's Uncle Amiibo. Exactly. So he was able to break the rule, whereas Flood was not. So we kind of figured he wasn't really a robot. And then we also only included robots that originated in video games. So that's why we didn't include Foot Soldiers or R2-D2 or ED-209 or whatever. Right. Uh, And then when it comes to Portal, those are definitely some awesome characters. But Portal still is not on a Nintendo system. And, of course, we only cover Nintendo systems. So we couldn't include that either. I mean, I guess there was Portal content in LEGO Dimensions, but that's kind of stretching it. So (laughs) that is why none of those guys made the cut. Uh, We did have one other honorable mention that didn't make the list for similar reasons. Pete, do you want to mention what that is? Well, it is true. I begged Chris to put Game Boy from Captain N in. (laughs) That's right. But he he was disqualified for not being an actual game character. And for being the worst character on Captain N. Oh, yes. That was the other reason. (laughs) (laughs) The next letter comes from listener Jeffrey Skull, who writes, I skipped the whole Wii U generation after Nintendo let me down during the final stretch of the Wii. I recently picked one up after hearing that it will eventually be considered along the lines of the Dreamcast. So far, I've actually been really disappointed because it seems that most of the marquee games were either ported to the Switch or were made unnecessary due to their souped-up Switch sequels. I'm thinking of Splatoon and Smash Brothers. Could you guys give me a rundown of what you think the definitive titles are that you think won't be ported or that use the gamepad so well that even if they are ported to the Switch, they would still be worth picking up? Hmm. Well, the first game that pops into my head is uh, Wonderful 101. Ah, okay. Yeah, I haven't really played that one too much myself, but certainly I've heard a lot of good things about it. Seems like a solid choice. Yeah, it's definitely a a diamond in the rough, and I don't think you'll end up seeing it on any other consoles anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's kind of the real question. It seems like Nintendo is intent on porting almost everything over to (laughs) Switch sooner or later. That one does seem kind of like a long shot. I mean... Going into other games that haven't been ported yet, certainly at the top of my list would be Super Mario 3D World. Uh, Super Mario Maker is an absolute no-brainer, but I kind of think there's a good chance that we'll get some sort of Super Mario Maker on Switch sooner or later, either a sequel or a port. And then uh, Pikmin 3. Yep, I would agree with you on that. uh, As well as Tokyo Mirage Sessions, and from third parties, DuckTales Remastered. 
That is a game I would love to see come to modern systems, but because it's licensed, I kind of have my doubts it will come anytime soon, so I would definitely pick that one up. DuckTales Remastered. And if you haven't played Wind Waker, I would also pick that one up. Oh yeah, I mean, if you want to talk about uh, you know those remasters, Wind Waker and Twilight Princess would both be good ones to get, but uh, you know those are uh, games that were on previous systems and could definitely be on other systems in the future, but uh, both great as well. Totally. This last letter comes from listener Sam, and he writes, Do you list the names of the intermission music anywhere? I often like the music you pick, but don't know what game it is from. If you mentioned it in the podcast, that would be helpful for finding other tracks from the game. So to answer this one, uh, Sam, there is good news. If you or anybody else wants to know what the intermission track is, it is indeed listed on the episode description, either at the website powerpros.podbean.com or the description on iTunes. You'll be able to find it there. We don't discuss it during the episode because half the time I have no idea what it's going to be when we're recording it, and it just gets added in later. But uh, yes, you can find it through those other means. So uh, yeah, check it out there. All right, that takes care of the letters for this week. I think it is time for us to take an intermission. Uh, not so fast there, Chris. Oh, I wasn't sure we were still going to be doing this, but I guess that means it's time for uh, your favorite part of the show, huh? That's right. It's time to hassle the Huff. Okay, then. Let's do it. All right. This one comes from listener Brian Booth, and it reads, Dear Video Game Professor Hoffman, if you had to have five pieces of video game music that played in your head constantly for the rest of your life, but you could pick one at a time to loop during certain times of the day, which five would you pick and why? Oh boy. Huh, that's an interesting question. <laughs> you know, I've thought about this question before, but not really about five different pieces of music. Usually I've thought about just one piece. If I was forced to listen to one piece constantly over and over again, that would be the Dr. Wily stage music from Mega Man 2. Mm. That is my default if I had to hear a particular video game tune over and over and over again. But boy, if I'm allowed the variety of five whole different tunes, <laughs> what else would I add? Let's see here. I definitely do something from Gradius 3. Maybe what plays when you're entering your high score or something. It, it sounds victorious. <laughs> it would be something I would like to hear when things are going well. <laughs> Also, for something that's maybe a little bit more calming, maybe I'm trying to do some work. You know, it's hard for me to work when I've got music playing, but I think I could still get a very good job done while listening to the fairy fountain music from The Legend of Zelda. Oh, wow. You know, maybe from uh, Ocarina of Time or possibly even from uh, Link to the Past. Mm -hmm. And also uh, Godot's theme from Ace Attorney 3. Nah. Uh, it's also, you know, pretty soothing and I think would uh, go a long way towards allowing me to get a lot done. I had a feeling there was going to be some Ace Attorney in there somewhere. Yeah, well, it's me. That does kind of seem like a no-brainer. <laughs> and then for my fifth choice, I think I would go with something from Castlevania 4. We'll be talking quite a bit about the Castlevania games right after the intermission, but uh, Castlevania 4 has some great music, and if I just want to hear something that I really, really enjoy and sort of rock out to... I think I would pick the theme of Simon from Super Castlevania 4. Wow, that is a pretty rockin' soundtrack. Yes, indeed. So there you go. Those are my five choices of a soundtrack to my life, you could say. I like that a lot of these are about, like, torturing you for the rest of your life. <laughs> there does seem to be a recurring theme here, but, uh, you know, where you're involved, Pete, I guess it only makes sense. <laughs> All right, thanks for playing. Okay. 
Now we will take our intermission, and then we come back. We will discuss this week's big topic, which is all about Castlevania. Alright, we are back, and we are ready to discuss this week's big topic, which is all about Castlevania. There are a couple reasons for choosing this as this week's big topic. You know, one reason that's perhaps too obvious is that it is October, Halloween is coming soon, that's always a good time to talk about Castlevania. But perhaps more importantly than that, we have Simon Belmont and Richter Belmont, stars from Castlevania, showing up in Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. And Pete, for people like you and me that grew up on the Castlevania games, this was such an exciting announcement. This is sort of like a dream come true. It was something we had probably wanted for a long, long time. For a lot of people who maybe got into gaming more recently than we have, they might be scratching their heads saying, why on earth are these characters in there? Who are they and why should we care? It's true. So that is sort of the reason for doing this week's big topic. This is all about Castlevania and why you should care about these characters joining the cast of Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. Mm-hmm. And of course, the reason that we're so excited about these characters is just because the games they were in originally were so darn great and had such a huge impact on us You know, back in the earlier days of Nintendo gaming, back on the NES, the Super NES, uh, even on to you know, more recent systems like the DS. But for North America, the Castlevania series pretty much all started on the NES. Now, it did appear on other systems before that. It was also known as Demon Castle Dracula or Vampire Killer in other territories. But as far as most players are concerned in North America, that was where it all began. And it was a huge franchise back in the day. I mean, even though... The series was terrible and the character was terrible. It wasn't just random luck that put Simon Belmont on Captain N, the Game Master. He really was one of gaming's biggest stars back then. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. It's true. You know, and at the time, I was thinking about this recently, that at the time you thought that, or at least I thought, that the Castlevania series would pretty much always have Simon in it. I didn't realize that they had plans to, you know, go down the Belma family line and have other characters appear in that. Mm -hmm. Well, they set up a mythology and they kind of stuck to it, you know, where Dracula is defeated and he can only return at certain points in history. So from that perspective, it does make sense. But yeah, originally of the first four games in the series, three of them starred Simon. So he was really the star of the show. Well, right. And like, you know, in Mario, Mario's always the character. In Mega Man, Mega Man's always the character. So Mm -hmm. I think, you know, my childhood brain just assumed that every Castlevania game would have uh, Simon in it. (laughs) 
Well, he was not the star of every single game, but uh, nonetheless, the games were all, you know, fairly consistently great. And, you know, I was wondering, Pete, what was your original introduction to Castlevania like? How did you discover the series and start enjoying it? Well, my first foray into it was the NES Castlevania. And I remember hearing about a game that had basically all the characters from, like, monster movies. Yes. And I think that was the thing that made the game so appealing and fun and successful initially was this horror theme. There weren't really too many horror-based games out there on the NES. I mean, sure, you had Ghosts and Goblins, but yeah, the cool thing about this one was that you basically were fighting the classic horror movie monsters. Dracula, the mummy, Frankenstein, the Grim Reaper, uh, you know, the creature from the Black Lagoon was just like a regular enemy he would fight. Right. Uh, Medusa was in there. So, yeah, it really was sort of this, you know, all-star monster movie mashup. Yeah, it was like a no-holds-barred, you know, <laughs> you just, you didn't know what you were going to get. And, you know, I, I remember, I don't think I ever beat the original Castlevania, but I remember hearing that there was like all these different bosses. And I'm like, man, I just want to get further into this game to see what else is here. Yeah, totally. I did not beat it back in the day. I only beat it, boy, maybe sometime in the last 10 years. It was certainly a challenging game. But uh, yeah, you just want to keep going to see what you were going to encounter next. That's for sure. And then, of course, I owned the Castlevania Game Boy game, Castlevania The Adventure. And that was actually a pretty good game for Game Boy as well. Hmm. You know, I was never really that into the first Castlevania for Game Boy, but the second Castlevania for Game Boy, which was subtitled Belmont's Revenge, I really, really liked because it added this dynamic of being able to choose which level you played through first. And you know, even though there wasn't any advantage to it, like it wasn't Mega Man where you gain new powers or something, just being able to choose the level you wanted and uh, check out these diverse environments. I thought that was a really cool feature. But we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves here. I kind of want to go back to the NES games and talk a little bit more about uh, you know, what made those so great. <laughs> I mean, obviously, after the first one, you know, there was then uh, Castlevania II, which, as we talked about on a recent episode, sort of changed everything and added all these nonlinear exploration elements. And then there was Castlevania III, which returned to the action formula of the original, but then added branching paths, multiple playable characters with new play mechanics, and some of the best graphics on the NES. Now, I'm not as familiar with Castlevania III, Dracula's Curse. Well, it's definitely one of the all-time greats. However, it's also... Very, very difficult. And the fact that the game slows down for a few seconds every time you change characters is sort of a drawback. It sort of makes the game feel a lot more sluggish. But if you look past that, you know, it's it's really, really fun, but also very, very tough. Now, is that the first Castlevania where you could switch characters? Yes. Yes, it was. Yeah, that's the game that introduced Dracula's son, Alucard, as well as the magician, Sypha Belnadis, and also uh, Grant Dynasty, the pirate thief. Uh, one thing that all of those NES games had in common, though, was the awesome music. You know, we were kind of talking about this a little bit earlier, how much I really like some of those Castlevania themes. But man, going back to the original NES game, then continuing on with Simon's Quest and Dracula's Curse, man, that just had such great tunes. It was amazing they were able to make such catchy music with the NES sound capabilities. All those main themes, Vampire Killer, Bloody Tears, Beginning, and then you know, continuing on with the Super NES with stuff like Theme of Simon, that was all just really, really good. Some of my favorite all-time video game tunes. I've heard bands perform these songs live, and it's, uh, it's amazing how well they stand up. 
Yeah, the first time I went to Japan, like 20 years ago, one of the things I made sure to do was go to Japanese music stores because, you know, over here, that wasn't really a thing at the time. I'm like, oh, man, I know that there are these arranged Japanese game soundtracks that you can't really get in America. I'm going to definitely hunt down Castlevania and get some Castlevania albums. And I did. And some were good and some were awful, like the infamous Castlevania rap album. But I'm not going to talk about that right now. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. In addition to the music, just the gameplay was different and unique and offered a really cool mix of action and platforming, had those great sub-weapons, and the ability to use a whip was just different as well. There weren't too many games where you would use a whip. Of course, Indiana Jones was pretty huge back then, so it sort of had an Indiana Jones vibe as well, and it all just you know mixed together very, very nicely. Yeah, and of course, he also gets the sub-weapon. Even in the original game, there was this, you know, the idea of... You know, you have this alternate weapon that uh, can change and you can you kind of pick which one you want based on the characters you're going to fight or the boss you might encounter. It's not as easy as just picking it. You actually have to, like, kill an enemy and get that weapon. Or just whip it out of a candle on the wall. Yep, that's right. But, uh, yeah, there's definitely a lot of strategy involved with that as well. Yeah. And the game, like we were saying, you know, it was no joke. It was not a walk in the park. There was quite a bit of challenge. And, you know, sometimes it was frustrating, like those stinking Medusa heads (laughs) and their weaving pattern through the air. God, those were always so frustrating. And the fact that you couldn't jump onto or off of the stairs, you know, that always got me back in the day. (laughs) But despite all that, it was still really, really fun. And of course, no discussion of Castlevania would be complete without discussing the fact that it had wall meat. Oh, right. Wall meat. Yes. There are some games where you punch open a trash can eat the meat. In this game, you could smash open part of the wall and, like, find a delicious roast just sitting there. And you'd be like, oh, look, a roast. I will eat that and power up my health. Because that's how it worked. <laughs> I'm pretty sure if I found one of those, in, like, a, an entire roast chicken in a wall, I'm not sure I would eat it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's why you are no Simon Belmont, my friend. My <laughs> nemi. That's fair. Uh, anyway, uh, moving along to some of the later Castlevania games, did you have any other faves that stood out as the series evolved? You mentioned the Game Boy one earlier. Uh, what about on Super NES? Well, yeah, I mean, Super Castlevania 4 was uh, pretty amazing. Yeah, that was definitely one of my favorites. Arguably one of my all-time faves in the whole Castlevania franchise. Wow. Yeah, and that was kind of a return to, you know, its roots, right? Well, in a sense. I mean, following Castlevania 3, it sort of felt like a natural progression to me and it uh, introduced you know a lot of interesting and cool elements you know it looked and sounded a lot better and it added way more versatility with the whip like you could whip in eight directions you could use the whip as sort of a flail or a shield and you could use it to swing and grapple so it really did uh, you know improve the gameplay in a lot of ways oh plus you could finally jump Onto the stairs. You couldn't jump off the stairs, but you could jump onto the stairs of that one. Yeah, and then um, every now and then you'd encounter a level that was using Mode 7 graphics. And you'd either have a warping tunnel hallway or, like, the screen would just start rotating. It was a really interesting concept. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty early on in the Super NES's life cycle. So it was really a showcase for that SNES technology. Rotating rooms, scaling sprites, and other visual tricks. So, yeah, it was uh, really an excellent game. And, uh, yeah, I mean, if I had to rank it, you know, it's probably somewhere like in my all-time top 20 or 30 games. Wow. Now, this is also the one that it feels like 
Simon in Smash Brothers is kind of based on. He kind of dressed like wearing his like He-Man armor, <laughs> uh, get the long blonde hair. Uh, yeah, I think that's fair to say. I mean, it's kind of the same look he had in Castlevania 1, but obviously the graphics were so much more detailed in Super Castlevania 4. That was really the time that you could get to see him. I mean, even the box art of Castlevania 1 only showed him from behind, so you didn't really know that much about how he looked until Castlevania 4 came out. It's a good point. Yeah, you can really see his ripped quads. <laughs> yes, he is not a man who wears pants. <laughs> no. no, he's not. Likes to show off them leg muscles. <laughs> Uh, but then a few years after that, after we got Super Castlevania IV, Konami went in a somewhat different direction with Castlevania Dracula X, which actually was more of a traditional Castlevania game. You, know, you didn't have the eight-way whip anymore, although you could whip in multiple directions. I think that game is horribly underrated. Dracula X is the first chance players had to encounter Richter Belmont, who is the other playable character in Smash. And the thing is that this game was originally you know, released in a different version on the PC Engine CD in Japan, and that got a lot of acclaim under the title Rondo of Blood. But you know, we didn't get that title here in North America until it finally hit Virtual Console on Wii. For me, just taken on its own, I thought it was a really, really fun game, and even though it might not be as good or as deep as the PC Engine game that you know, it was sort of based on, I still thought that, you know, from my perspective, it was super enjoyable. Yeah, I don't have that much experience with uh, Dracula X, but I do remember buying it on Virtual Console. I don't know how much I actually played it, though. <laughs> yeah, it's out there. You can get it on Wii U. You can get it on 3DS. Yeah, I would certainly recommend it if you haven't played it before. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny that that was really the only game where Richter had a starring role between that and the PC Engine version. Simon had three games to his name, and you know I think that's certainly earned him a place. But uh, you know Richter, with only this one title, also gets the call up to Smash Brothers, so uh, that's that's kind of cool. I mean, maybe it's because Rondo of Blood was so well received over in Japan, or maybe it's because that helped give birth to Symphony of the Night, which was a huge hit. But either way, even though I don't think he has quite the clout or appeal of Simon, I think he's still going to be a, a fun character to use in Smash for sure. Uh huh. Now, following these games on the Super NES, we kind of came to a dark time for Castlevania, and that was on the Nintendo 64. <laughs> Says you, I like that game. Now, some games, you know, were able to make an easy transition from 2D to 3D, like Super Mario and The Legend of Zelda. Some did not. I would say that Castlevania did not. <laughs> Pete, you were the only person I've ever heard come to the defense of Castlevania on N64. I personally thought it was terrible. <laughs> you know, I it's weird. I just remember playing it and having some pretty fond memories. In particular, if you can make it through to the point where you get to the hedge maze, that is one of the most terrifying moments in a game prior to the Resident Evil series, I can tell you. Well, it definitely did have some terrifying moments. I'll agree with you there. I mean, I would say the whole game was pretty much a terrifying moment from a gameplay perspective. Oh, hey. <laughs> but uh, yes, the, the hedge maze would have been kind of a fun part if it weren't, you know, mired in uh, somewhat awful gameplay. I think that was better in concept than it was in execution. <laughs> but I mean, I didn't enjoy the gameplay. I did not enjoy the character designs. And I thought the difficulty was way off the charts. I found that game to be horribly frustrating. I don't know. I felt like I just needed to power through it. 
Uh, did you? Did you make it all the way to the end? I definitely didn't make it to the end, but I definitely spent some serious time on that game. I think I made it to a part where you had to get through this area with moving gears, carrying this big explosive bomb. And if you took one hit, the bomb would go off and you would die. And I'm not sure I ever made it past that point. <laughs> it was uh, yeah, pretty darn infuriating at the time. Now, couldn't you play as two different characters, right? Yes, there were two different characters. You could play as, I believe, Reinhardt Schneider or Carrie Fernandez, which was supposed to be a descendant of uh, Saifa Belnades from Castlevania Three, but uh, they translated her last name differently. So she went from uh, a Belnades to Fernandez. <laughs> I'm watching videos of this game, and I and I actually kind of miss it. Yeah, well, I think you might be the only one. <laughs> Now, what about the follow-up, Legacy of Darkness? Did you play that one at all? I mean, I played a little bit. I thought it was somewhat better than the first Castlevania on N64, but uh, it was still far from a great game. No, I am actually not familiar with this one at all. Hmm. Well, you're probably not missing much. It uh, you know, sort of remixed some elements of Castlevania 64, and it introduced a new playable character, Cornell the Werewolf. Originally, there were supposed to be four playable characters in Castlevania 64, but they ended up cutting two of them, one of them being uh, Cornell. So he did get to make a comeback in this uh, pseudo-sequel, Legacy of Darkness. But again, I have not played that game probably since it first came out. I don't remember too much about it. And again, I don't think you're missing too much. (laughs) So stay away from the N64 Castlevania games. That's what I would advise. I mean, I might give it another try if it were ever re-released or anything, but yeah, I would stay far, far away from those as possible if you've never played a Castlevania game. (laughs) Now, fortunately, a few years after that, there was quite a rebirth of Castlevania on Nintendo systems, and that took place on the Game Boy Advance and the Nintendo DS. And these were basically spiritual successors to Castlevania Symphony of the Night, which was a game that was only available on the Sony PlayStation. But all these games on Nintendo systems use that same formula. And this was where Castlevania made that shift from pure action game to becoming more Metroid style. And that's what Castlevania was for years to come. And again, like we were saying about Chasm earlier, that means lots of various types of weapons, a wide array of equipment, new abilities that will let you reach new areas, RPG elements, and an evolving set of special abilities that change with almost every game. You know, some things remained the same. Obviously, there was still a horror theme, but it sort of had a new identity. It wasn't really this all-star cast of movie monsters. It became more gothic, more based on, I think, a lot of Japanese horror mythology and a lot less based on Western horror. With that said, I really, really enjoyed these games. I thought they utilized their formulas pretty much to perfection, and I really, really enjoyed playing through the whole lot of them. Yeah, I I mean, they all kind of run together in my mind. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when I really stop and think about it, but um, they're yeah, I can understand that they are very samey. There's no doubt about that. But they're all really good, and I remember picking up any of them was definitely worthwhile and easy to play, but uh, you know, hard to actually get to the end. Interesting storylines throughout, and I think what really stands apart to me was you know the graphic quality, just really cool 2D pixel art, yeah, and just uh, you know kind of gave the series a nice look overall back to its roots. Well, I mean, I wouldn't say it was back to its roots at all. 
Well, the back to its 2D roots, I guess. But yeah, I, uh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, in some ways, you might even consider that you know the the golden age of Castlevania because we were getting these new titles you know, every couple of years: Circle of the Moon, Harmony of Dissonance, Aria of Sorrow, Dawn of Sorrow, Portrait of Ruin, Order of Ecclesia. Wow. Incidentally, Order of Ecclesia. That game came out almost 10 years ago already. I think the 10-year anniversary is like in a couple days or next week or something like that. So it's actually been that long since a you know 2D pixel art exploration-style Castlevania game has come out. It's kind of been a long time already. Now, there was a time where we were working on the magazine, and I remember just like being baffled at how fast these were coming out. <laughs> but not in a bad way. Well, like I said, they were coming every couple of years. Yeah, I remember that uh, Aria of Sorrow came out just a little bit after I arrived at the magazine. And then, yeah, it was really only like a year or two later that Portrait of Ruin came out. But, uh, I mean, they kept the quality up. So, uh, you know, I really couldn't complain getting new games in one of my favorite series on a very consistent basis was only a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, it was just it felt like they maybe made a deal with the devil. <laughs> or with Count Dracula, perhaps. <laughs> but yeah, I loved that they would always give you new options to try out different things with the abilities. Like Circle of the Moon had these 20 cards that you could mix and match to gain 100 different powers. And then uh, Aria of Sorrow had these enemy souls. Like every enemy you defeated would give off a soul at random usually. So sometimes you had to you know kill like you know 100 of this enemy before it gave off his soul. But each enemy in the game would give you a new power, which was pretty cool. And then, um, you know, Portrait of Ruin gave you actually two different characters to play as. There was Jonathan, who was the warrior, and Charlotte, who was the more magic-oriented character, and you could then switch between them for whatever the situation required. So, yeah, lots of cool stuff throughout those games. Well, is there any in particular that uh, stands out to you, Chris? I mean, they were all pretty good, but I would definitely have to give the nod to Aria of Sorrow and Dawn of Sorrow. Like I said, with all those different enemy souls you could acquire, that opened up the door to lots of really cool gameplay possibilities. You know, Dawn of Sorrow then you know, amped things up on the DS by making it so you could acquire multiple souls for enemies in a way that was cool because it'd be like, oh, I got another soul. I can get more powerful that way. On the other hand, it led itself to a lot of grinding. And there was also you know, some touchscreen stuff in that game that wasn't quite the best. So I think that's why I would give the nod to uh, Aria of Sorrow. But yeah, I mean, all of them were quite good for sure. Is that where you had to uh, seal the enemy away by drawing a little pentagram? Yes. Yep, yep. You had to make a little shape on the touchscreen. So yeah, it's very unlikely that they'd be able to port that game in its entirety to any other system. You know, they did have DS games on the Wii U eShop, so it's kind of too bad that uh, those DS Castlevania games were never released there, but they stopped after releasing the three GBA titles. Yeah, that is funny. But uh, yes, that's exactly what I was referring to. Yeah, because if you didn't draw the rune and seal off the enemy right away, they would come back to life and the boss fight would continue. <laughs> and that is not my favorite idea of any Castlevania game, I'll tell you that. I remember playing that game with the stylus in my mouth so that I could just <laughs> grab it quicker and uh, yeah, seal, yeah. seal the monster away. Yeah, I remember I, I would make you stand there and play the game uh, while you would have the stylus in your mouth and I would pull it out of there and then draw the thing on the screen. Mm, I don't think that ever happened. Oh yeah, I'm lying about that. Sorry, my mistake. <laughs> no, I would have to, you know, like, have it you know tucked between my fingers while i'm playing the game it was a little awkward <laughs> i wish i had a picture of that um, that wasn't the end of castlevania you know it did continue on after that but uh you know none of the 
other games on later systems for Nintendo were really that big a deal. We got Castlevania Judgment on Wii, which wasn't bad, but it was a fighting game with a lot of waggle and had some really bizarre character designs that I think held it back from getting more appreciation. There was Castlevania Rebirth, which was essentially a remake of Castlevania The Adventure from the Game Boy, and it totally returned Castlevania back to its classic side-scrolling, action-focused roots. And it was a lot of fun, but again, didn't really draw a lot of attention, it seemed, since it was a WiiWare-only downloadable title. Yeah, that was an odd one, but welcome addition to the family. Yeah, it's really good. If you happen to still have some unspent points in the Wii Shop channel, that is definitely one to get. But then uh, there was also uh, Castlevania Lords of Shadow Mirror of Fate, which was a you know 2D action adventure set in a new continuity that came out on 3DS. And I wrote the cover story for that for Nintendo Power when it was first unveiled. And I thought that was a game that really could have been good, but the combat was just really too drawn out. And that was the one thing I said I really hope they fixed, but they didn't fix it. So <laughs> in the end, the game was not all I could have hoped it would be. So it kind of sort of fizzed out after that point. You know, I really loved all those Ega games, but, you know, then it was taken away from him. They gave it to a new dev team, and, you know, Castlevania sort of disappeared and gone by the wayside like so many other Konami games have. Uh, but still, Nintendo was there to step in, shine a light on the Castlevania series again, so to speak, <laughs> and uh, remind players what it's all about with Smash Brothers. That's right. And then, uh, you know, in other ways, Castlevania sort of reared its head. Of course, there's the Netflix series. Yes, that's true. There have also been, you know, lots of other games where the characters have had cameos. Like there was actually a crossover fighting game released in Japan where Simon Belmont gets to fight Optimus Prime. That's not real. <laughs> that is real. It is totally real. Before he was in Smash Brothers, Simon Belmont was in... Uh, I think it was called Dream Mix TV World Fighters or something. And among the characters he had to fight was Optimus Prime. I believe Master Higgins from the Adventure Island series was in there as well. And so was Solid Snake. Um, I'm pretty sure that's just completely from your dream. <laughs> Don't you wish. <laughs> now, before we wrap up this topic, are there any favorite elements of Castlevania you'd like to discuss? Do you have a favorite weapon or boss or stage or anything like that? I mean, I think the first time I could use his whip and uh, just hold the button down and control the whip motion with the D-pad. In Super Castlevania 4? Yes, I think that was where I was like, wow, that's really cool. Yeah, it definitely is. But what about sub-weapons? Do you have a favorite sub-weapon that you would usually stick to? Or did you, you know, like you were saying earlier, just play more strategically and try to change it up depending on the situation? Well, the sub-weapons have changed over time, but I always thought that the cross was one of my favorite. It's kind of like a boomerang. You basically throw it across the stage and it comes back to you. Yep. It ends up being a really advantageous weapon because it hits enemies usually twice, especially if you got something like a Medusa head flying at you and you missed it on the first way. You <laughs> might get them on the way back. Yeah, I would totally agree. That was absolutely my favorite sub-weapon as well. Love the boomerang. I always call it the boomerang, even though it's officially called the cross. <laughs> but yeah, I definitely like the boomerang. And once you got the double shot or triple shot and throw out three of those, it was like totally a lifesaver for getting through some of those tougher areas towards the end of the game in the original Castlevania. That's for sure. Yeah, that's why I'm also excited to see that in Smash Brothers. I think it's nice homage to that weapon that's, you know, appeared in oh so many Castlevania games. Yeah, totally. As for me... Uh, some of my favorites 
include uh, Slagra and Gaibon, who were uh, some of the later bosses that you fought like just before you fought the Grim Reaper and Dracula in Super Castlevania IV. And I also loved the huge rock monster, which I think was the boss of Stage Four in Super Castlevania IV. Oh, yeah. He would uh, scale as you fought him and uh, really show off some of that Super NES technology, and that made the battle really, really fun. As for the more modern Castlevania games, I really liked uh, this boss called uh, Gurgoth that I think was from Dawn of Sorrow. Mm. It's basically this huge rotting dinosaur that shoots a massive laser beam from its mouth. Do you remember that one? Yeah, I do remember that dinosaur. Uh, that thing, it basically looks like it's like skin is peeling back off its face. That was from Dawn of Sorrow? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, that is one of the more memorable bosses for sure. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, another one I liked from that game was Balor, who was basically this huge shackle demon who pounds you with these elephant-sized fists. Uh, brutal. <laughs> yeah, totally. So, what do you think should happen next with Castlevania? With Simon and Richter appearing in Smash Brothers, it feels like a golden opportunity for Konami to do something once again with this brand. Well, I mean, the obvious one would be to uh, do an anthology, sort of some ports onto the Switch. Yes, that would make a lot of sense for sure. In some sort of collection, right? Yeah, we know Konami is making a little bit of a collection on uh, another platform on PS4, but uh, so far nothing is announced for Switch, but it certainly would make a lot of sense, wouldn't it? It would. And then, uh, you know, ultimately, I think what I'd like to see is have something, you know, along the lines of this, you know, this Mega Man resurgence where even if it's not necessarily two-dimensional sprites, um, you know, something that just kind of feels like this updated 2D version of Castlevania. Yeah, would you like to see it be a pure action game, or would you prefer it be this Metroid style? You know, I do think that the there is something to the Metroid style. I've always kind of liked that. Mm -hmm. But uh, it has been a long time since they've done, like, a true action version of Castlevania. And I think, you know, especially with updated graphics and all that, it could be pretty cool. Okay. Yeah, personally, and I think I've mentioned this before, I would love to see some sort of, you know, talented development team, like, you know, maybe way forward or heck, maybe even, you know, some up and coming indie developers tackle the Castlevania franchise. We have seen tons of these Metroid style games on Switch. And I'm sure someone could make another great 2D pixel-based Castlevania if they wanted to, and if Konami wanted them to. So that's my dream, is to have one of these uh, talented studios take over the mantle for Castlevania and uh, give us another exploration-style adventure. I definitely do love me some 2D Castlevania, but, you know, even seeing what was done with, you know, the remake of Samus uh, Returns on the 3DS was, was pretty impressive, and I think that uh, if Castlevania went that route, I could be okay with that too, so long as it's done right. Well, I guess I have to agree with you. No matter what they do, I would just be very happy to see Castlevania make a comeback as long as it's good. <laughs> Agreed. And with that said, I think we have put the final nail in the coffin of this week's big topic, which means it is time to wrap up this week's episode of the show. However, before we do that, we do have time for one more thing, and that is, naturally, a dramatic reading. No oh, man. This time, it is the eShop description of the Switch game, Hot Gimmick Cosplay Zhong. Psyche is coming back. Hot Gimmick Cosplay Zhong for Nintendo Switch. The number one Mahjong arcade game is coming back to Nintendo Switch. 
the basic mode is playing with NPC. Of course, you are able to enjoy one Mahjong after another with Girl. One P mode. Everyone has an invisible anguish of heart, and your mission is to save their soul. The method is that you can solve problems by Mahjong. Well, solve them by Mahjong. <laughs> Take your chance. The story is kind of that. Zhang fight mode. The blood, sweat, and tears story of two men who continue to fighting forever. <laughs> anyway, I feel like, who are you guys? That's it. In addition, you can use a powerful and joyful technique with a wonderful support character called a Zhang cat. So did you pick this one up? <laughs> no. No, I didn't. I can't imagine that the game would be anywhere near as good as that description, so I think <laughs> I would just leave it at that. Well, solve them by Mahjong. <laughs> Obviously. Right. Take your chance. The story is kind of that. You can say that again. It's so, so ridiculous. <laughs> it, it is, but I love it. I, I mean... <laughs> It's one of those things I feel like I was reading it along with you, and it's like I had to reread something like five times to see what it actually meant, and I still don't understand. Uh, don't worry about it. I don't think anyone else does either. <laughs> I'm really confused by the anyway. I feel like, who are you guys? <laughs> I feel like, like. All I can say is I wouldn't worry about it too much. I feel like maybe some copy from like something else slipped in like the, like the translator was like you know looking at notes or something and a note from <laughs> something random just popped in i don't know perhaps so didn't make any sense perhaps so that's one of the better ones i've heard in a while at any rate that does it for this week as always you can find us at powerpros.podbean.com and you can follow us at powerprospod on both facebook and twitter you can follow me, The Hoff, on Twitter at ChrisTheHoff, and you can find Pete at BurlyRedYeti. You can email us at PowerProsPod at gmail.com, and if you like the podcast, of course, it would be great if you told your friends about us. Thanks for listening, everybody. For myself, Pete Mashad. Anyway, I feel like, who are you guys? And Order of Ecclesia's Shanoa. With this, it will be over. We will see you next time.